2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Our our main text is 6 and 7, but let's start in verse 4. Paul is speaking to Timothy. This is his last last epistle before he goes to heaven. In fact, it's reasonable to believe that probably he went to heaven maybe a matter of days after this was completed. He says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, those folks that want to de emphasize doctrine in, in the modern church, boy, they, they'd have issues with Paul. Because Paul sure does have a lot to say about it. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. That is an excellent template for all of us as Christians to be able to look back on our lives with thanksgiving that God used us. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, tell other people about Jesus, and make full proof of thy ministry. That's good advice from Paul, isn't it? For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I think that the more likely scenario for most, if not all of us, is that we go up in the rapture. It just can't be long. But whether it be in the rapture or whether it be through death... This should be our goal. If I'm standing before you in a service and I hear the trumpet and the voice crying, come up hither, as time suspends for us, what happens in the twinkling of an eye slows down that we might savor the moment. More than anything, to hear that trumpet and that voice cry, come up hither, I want to be able to say, I'm ready. Or, if it's laying in a hospital bed, or at home, and the doctor has said, it's not going to be long now, I want to be able to say, for I am now ready. I'm not talking about salvation. Of course we want to be ready in the matter of our salvation. I'm talking about we have, we've left it all on the field. Boy, that, see, that's where Paul is. Paul didn't keep anything back. He said, for I'm now ready. 
specifically to be offered, to be poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And so that's the theme of what we're doing through next Sunday night, Lord willing. And that's the subject of ready. Ready. Father, would you help us tonight as we continue to meditate on these thoughts of being ready? God, we desperately need your touch. I do. There's still so much to be done in my life. So many ways in which I have come up short. Energize me. And help me to be ready whenever that time comes. Thank you for being so good to us. Bless your word as I know you will. Speak to our hearts and may Christ be lifted up in it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. We began last Sunday morning by asking, okay, what, what must be ready? Well, first of all, we, we've got to have a ready future. And that's the matter of salvation. If you're not ready in the matter of your salvation, you have no future, friend. Hell awaits, and that's no future for anybody. But also, we need to have a ready family. He said, I'm now ready to be offered. I'm poured out. He said, I'm already now being poured out. I'm leaving everything behind. And the question is asked, those people that are our family, physically and spiritually, have we poured everything into them that we possibly can before we go? We've got to have a ready future. We've got to have a ready family. And then enjoy a ready feeling. The time of my departure is at hand. What's he talking about when he uses that phrase? Well, first of all, that phrase, that word departure, speaks of an unyoked animal. Or it can be used for an unfettered prisoner. Or it can be used when you break camp and it's time to pull up the tent pegs and go. Or a ship that's loosed from its moorings to go out to sea. What's he saying? He's saying, my labor is over, my freedom has come, my permanent home is ready, and it's time to start the journey home. That's a tone of one of triumph. Paul is not sad here. He's excited. He's excited. He's got a ready feeling. And so then we, we began to ask the question last Sunday night, okay, how do I have this? How can I be like Paul and have that ready future, that ready family, that ready feeling? How can I say I am now ready? And last week we talked about a fighting spirit. He said, I have fought a good fight. As we touched on this morning, well, we didn't just touch on it, we thudded right into it. He, we have an adversary. Amen. And Paul recognized his adversary. But thankfully, he also had some armor, didn't he? He had some armor. Now, there was an aftermath. Yes, Paul was scarred, but people were saved. And so he had a fighting spirit. Now, tonight, I, I gave you a different... A different uh, theme for tonight, and I've changed it ever so slightly. Um, I was using a faithful steadfastness, but I've changed that to this, a faith-filled standard, a faith-filled standard. He goes on to say in verse 7, I fought a good fight, I have finished my course. 
And I think it's important that we understand what the standard, what the metric is that we should be using to know whether or not we can be ready. And so I changed that to a faith-filled standard. I have finished my course. Paul was fond of athletic metaphors. He talks about boxing, he talks about wrestling, and here he talks about running. I am convinced if Paul lived today, he would have been a football fan. Those of us that are football fans, particularly those of us that follow local teams somewhat, we're having a rough year. I, I've mentioned to my Virginia Tech, I, I ran into a fellow at the restaurant today, he was wearing a Virginia Tech hat, and I complimented him on his hat. It was a good-looking hat. Colors are all wrong, but it's a good-looking hat. And uh, I said, I'm a UVA fan. We're both having a rough year, aren't we? And we, we kind of just, we had a moment of agreement, which doesn't happen much between us two camps. And uh, but yeah, we're having a rough time. And then, you know, I don't have an NFL team, but the one that has tried to replace my NFL team, they're stinking it up pretty good too. Um, my only hope is the Orioles, and well, they lost last night. But anyway, Paul, Paul was fond of athletic events and used them as metaphors. The word for course here, when he says, I finished my course, is the word dramas. Dramas is an interesting word. It does refer to a race that has been laid out, but it also is used in the context of military service or even a lifelong career. Dramas. We'll use it in regards to running a race for our purposes tonight. So you understand that we're all running a race. Whether you want to be in it or not, you're in it. Now, if, if, if this was a literal race that we had, we were holding today, I can tell you what has two thumbs and wouldn't be in it, and that's this guy. I, I'm past the point of loving to race anymore. I really am. Not that I ever really loved it to begin with. All right? Um, I wouldn't want to be in a race that was being held today. But spiritually speaking, I am in a race, and so are you. All of us are. All of us are. Now, what we need to understand is what are the metrics, what is the standard in order to look back and say we were victorious in this race? What are the metrics that we use to say, hey, I ran this race well? What are the standards? And they're all about faith, faith-filled standards. Okay, three hallmarks that we want to look to regarding the approach that's needed to succeed in this kind of a race. So keep in mind our, our text, but I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. What is the standard? What is the faith-filled standard that I can use to know whether or not I've been victorious, whether or not I have been uh, one who ran my race well. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience 
the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you want to be successful, if you want to look back on your race and know that you met the standard, here's the first standard. You ready? Focus on Christ. Did I focus on Christ? What does verse 2 say? Looking unto Jesus. Asher loves to run, and he loves to be chased by me because he knows I'm usually not going to catch him. But one thing that he does when I am chasing him is he's got this bad habit of looking behind me to see how close I've gotten to him. Now, you know what that leads to. It leads to running into things. You can't look behind you. You focus on the goal. You focus on the goal. What is the goal for every Christian in one word? Jesus. Paul said that I might win Christ. I'm not talking about for your salvation. I'm talking about ultimately our goal is to be transformed, to be just like Jesus. Therefore, it stands to reason that as we are running this race, our focus needs to ever be on Jesus. And yet, as we talked about this morning, it is so easy for us to get distracted by everything around us. Every little shiny thing the world has to offer, and it catches our eye this way, and it catches our eye this way, and it catches our eye this way, and we're not focusing on Christ. There must be a firm focus on the Savior. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, this same uh, book that we've been working out of, Paul tells Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, y'all, this is easy preaching, hard living. Every preacher that I have talked to has, has had the same, the same mindset. It is so easy to get into the comparison game. And to focus on this metric over here and what's happening at this church over here and what's going on on this Twitter account over here and we lose sight of where our focus ought to be. As the pastor of this church, my focus should ever only be on Jesus. As a husband, my focus should ever only be on Jesus. As a father, my focus should ever only be on Jesus. As a teacher in the school, my focus ever only should be on Jesus. And yet, we get our focus on everything else and off of Christ, and that never works for our good. Never. Focus on Christ. The second hallmark of this standard is that we follow the commands. We follow the commands. Hebrews chapter 12, 
Verse 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now look at the last phrase, the race that is set before us. This course, this, this uh, dramas, was specifically laid out. It had obstacles, it had lanes, it had rules that were meant to be followed if you were to succeed at this race. When somebody runs a marathon, they can't just get up and run, what is it, 26.2? Is that what it is? They can't just get up and run 26.2 miles in whatever direction they want to. There's a course to be followed. There's, 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 there's commands that are to be followed. Otherwise, you got people 26.2 miles away from one central point, and they're all over the place. And some people ran uphill, and some people ran downhill, and some people went this way, and some people went that way. We've got to follow the commands. If you're into NASCAR, I used to be years ago when it was still NASCAR. It's not anymore. It's kind of European these days. It's weird, actually. I was... Uh, I was a fan of NASCAR back when you could still admit people smoked. Now, they didn't got rid of every tobacco reference, but, you know, booze is fine. That's okay, apparently. I mean, I'm still a Winston Cup fan. Y'all remember when it was Winston Cup? Now, it didn't change like 37 times since then. Now, what is it now? Anybody know? See, nobody cares. I mean, you went to Bristol. You went to Bristol, man, and Ruffin's racing. Now it's, I'm sorry I offended you. Can we meet in the pits and talk about it? No. I'm way ahead of schedule. I'm going to tell you this story. Let me tell you when I fell in love with racing. I went over a buddy's house, and his dad was watching the race, and he made it clear, don't mess with dad during the race. His dad was asleep for the vast majority of the race, but don't mess with dad during the race. Okay? And there was a wreck. a wreck. There was a wreck, and I remember the mellow yellow car driven by Kyle Petty, or as you should say, Petty. Kyle Petty had been, had been run into by Bobby Hillen Jr.'s Heilig Myers Ford. Y'all don't even remember Heilig Myers. We bought most of our furniture from Heilig Myers. And we're going to pretend Brother Branson is Bobby Hillen Jr., they turn around, they're in the infield, which is the middle grassy part of a given racetrack. And Kyle Petty gets out of his car and walks over to the Heilig Myers Ford and feigns concern over Mr. Hillen's condition. Mr. Hillen makes a terrible mistake. He drops his net. Bam! And he just hauled off and popped him right in the eye in this car. I said, I like this. This is good. I didn't used to like hockey till I went to a game. I went to see the Richmond Renegades, which is a minor league hockey team. Doesn't even exist anymore, I don't think. And this kid, he, he wasn't no bigger than Terrence, it didn't look like. But somebody checked him, and that dude came off the ice on, just wailing on that dude, man. And the whole place went nuts. And I'm like, I like this. What does that have to do with our message? The answer is nothing. 
Forgive me for my divergence. But if, you're, if you watch NASCAR, you know that some courses are road courses. They, they actually don't just turn left. They go right as well. You better follow the course. You better follow the commands. Oh, by the way, you better follow the commands coming from the, uh, from the flag too. If there's a yellow flag, which is called a caution flag, you better slow down. There's rules. There's rules. It's specifically laid out. And Hebrews 12 tells us that the race that we're in is the race that is set before us. The race that's been set before me is not the same race set before Brother Hensley. Brother Hensley has his own race set before him. Lacey has her own race set before her. Mrs. Sizemore here has her own race set before her. We don't have the same race, and God has has set a race just for us and given us commands specifically for our race, and it is so important that I follow the commands for my race and not the commands for somebody else's race. As a pastor, God has given me the pastorate of Fellowship Baptist Church, not somebody else's church, not somebody else's pastorate. This is the race that he's given me. He's given you your Sunday school class. He's given you your ministry. He's given you your marriage. He's given you your family. He's given you your children. And that is specifically designed for you. And all that matters is that you're following the commands that he gives you for your race, not somebody else's. So the standard of victory for this kind of race was one's personal best effort. So how does one measure? What is the standard for one's personal best effort in their given race? It's one word. You ready? Faithfulness. God is not interested in our production. He is not interested in our performance. He is only interested in our percentage. Did he have 100% of us? Our faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. The rewards that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ will be focused solely on the matter of our faithfulness. And I got news for you. There's little little old country preachers that nobody ever heard of that are going to have a whole lot more crowns than big shots that are all over the airwaves because they were faithful. They're saints that are going to have crown after crown after crown even though nobody knew who they were, but they were faithful. Once again, easy preaching hard living because I want those other metrics I want the numbers I want the acclaim we act all humble well you know it's all about God but let's be honest our flesh wants to be made much of doesn't it I have to be super careful with social media because if I'm not careful I start looking at how many times a given sermon has been shared or the comments thereof. That's completely irrelevant if I've preached what God's laid on my heart to preach. See? Hey, moms, don't worry about what that mom next door does and how she 
goes about her child rearing. Your job is to follow the commands that God gave you for your race. Now, if you're going to be faithful in this and you're going to follow the commands, it involves laying aside those things that needed to be done in order to do one's best. Obviously, you need to lay aside wickedness. What's he say? He says, let's lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us. Let that go. But... That's only half the equation. It's not enough to just get rid of that which is bad. We also have to be willing to set aside that which is good for the sake of that which is best. See, not just the wickedness, lay aside the weights. Because what do weights do? They hinder us. My life's about to change dramatically, I fear. Because up to this point, it's been me and my wife and others who lovingly said, Andy, you need to to go about your life differently for your health's sake. I got a feeling I'm about to get a really stern talking to from a medical professional that's going to say, cut this stuff out or you're done. Here's the thing about addiction, y'all. Addiction? Yeah. Addiction. Here's what it does to you. You come to church fellowships, and you look at all the things you can't have, and you take it personally. When I was on keto, my soul, I never wanted bread more in all my life. You say, well, did you not want bread before keto? No, I wanted it then too. But I really wanted it when I couldn't have it. These tests that we take when they tell us, you know, don't eat or drink anything after midnight, ah, nothing to it. Until the doctor says that, and then you wake up middle of the night thirsty as you can be. But here's what I have to do, y'all. I have to be willing to let go of that which is good. Twinkies are good. Coke is good. But making sure my son remembers who I am is best. Making sure my wife's new husband isn't the one that walks my daughter down the aisle is best. Honey, don't you marry a preacher and give him my books either. Make him get his own. (laughs) Good is the enemy of best, isn't it? Robert, you're a coach. You want your team to pursue what's good or you want to pursue what's best? Follow the commands. So we're to focus on Christ. We're to follow the commands. And then if we want to meet this standard, this faith-filled standard, as Paul said, we're to finish the course. We're to finish the course. We're back in Hebrews 12 again. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race that is set before us. I left out two words, two really important words. Let us run with patience. The word patience there means endurance. It means staying with it. It means not giving up. It means run until you cross the finish line. When do we cross the finish line, y'all? When we flatline or we go up. That's when we've crossed the finish line. Now, I realize there comes a point in folks' lives where they have to give things up and give them over to the younger crowd and all of that, but there's nobody in this room that your ministry is done. Nobody has crossed the finish line yet in this room. Do we have people we love that have? Yes. And we look forward to seeing them again. But all of us have not yet crossed the finish line. I want you to notice what Paul said. He does not say, I have fought a good fight. I have won the course. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, I've won. He never says that. He said, I finished. I finished it. The Dramos was not a race that featured runners neck and neck in a sprint. In fact, the word Dramos was sometimes used of those who were running all by themselves for the purpose of carrying a message. And what determined whether or not they were successful if the message got to its destination? Do you know the story behind the marathon? That a man had to deliver, deliver a message back to Athens during the, during the war, and he ran 26.2 miles from where he was to where the king was. He gave the message and dropped dead. And he was honored for having given the last full measure of his devotion to the cause. I don't mean to be crass or rude here, but basically that's what God expects of us, to give the message and give the message and give the message and then leave this world. To finish was its own prize. Here was the greatest concern, the greatest concern for any runner. This is the phrase, you ready? Nobody wanted to have run in vain. Can I read you some scripture? Galatians 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Acts 20, verse 20. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, and now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, 
I'm sorry, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Verse 17, yea, and if I be offered, that's the same word in First, Second Timothy 4, I'm now ready to be offered. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So what? Paul had a fighting spirit. He was willing to fight, and he fought the good fight. But he also said, I finished my course. How will we at the end of this thing be able to look back knowing that we finished our course? There's a real easy way to put it. We focus on Christ. We follow the commands, which, of course, relies on us getting our best effort out. And we finish the course. You want to know how to finish your course. Whenever you're not sure, whenever you're confused about it, walk down to the first hallway downstairs. Honor God. Do your best. Never quit. And if you live this life by that motto that's painted on the walls of our school, if you've lived your life with God's help, honoring Him, doing your best, never quitting, then when this thing is done, you know what you'll be able to say? I finished my course. <laughs> 